This morning I'm going to talk about just about what just took place. Perhaps you're thinking, what was that all about? Maybe you're thinking, well, we've all got indoor plumbing now, so why do we need public bathing sessions? Surely we don't need them anymore. Some of you may be totally new to church and have no clue about what baptism is really about. If that is you, don't worry, I won't ask you to raise your hands or anything. Don't worry, you are not alone. Because I reckon if I were to ask some people who had been coming to church for years, in fact, if I asked some people who were even baptised what baptism is really about, I don't think they would really know. Many of them, in a moment of honesty, may admit, I got baptised but never really knew why I did it, other than, well, that's kind of what Christians do these days. So today I want to answer the very simple question, why do we baptise? And I will turn to the the only authority on the subject, that is the Bible. I'm not going to talk about church tradition or church history or some pope said this in AD something, you know. I will never say we do this because we've always done it this way. Rather, I want to go back to the only real authority on baptism, and that is the Word of God. So today I'm going to give you quite a few references from the Bible. Please don't feel you need to know them yourselves or even be able to find them in your Bibles. Just listen to them and allow them to build up a picture of what baptism is really about. You are welcome to check up. The references will be there. Please do check up later that I have the context right and I'm explaining it right. And if you disagree, then do come back to me. And then through those Bible references about baptism, I want to share three statements about baptism to explain why we do it. Why we choose to baptize people and why we choose to baptize people in the manner that we do which is perhaps different to the way that you've seen other Christians perform the service. And to aid memory, I've made it very simple. All of the statements begin with S. If you remember nothing else, and I'm a realistic preacher, don't worry, I know that, try to remember the three reasons why we baptize. As you can see. We do it because, firstly, baptism is a step of obedience for the new believer. The Bible tells us to believe and be baptized, that is, trust in Jesus and then be baptized. On that first day of that first church, in a day that we now call Pentecost, Peter stood up in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem and gave the first kind of big evangelistic rally. It says in Acts 2.37, it says, and the people who were listening were cut to the core. They were cut to the very heart. They turned to all the disciples and said, brothers, what must we do? And Peter's immediate response in Acts 2.38 is repent and be baptized. One flowing straight from the other. Repent, that is to make a U-turn in your life. So you were going this way. You were going away from God towards your own way. A repentance, a turning away towards back to God. Believe and repent and then be baptized. And there was never meant to be this kind of testing period that we often go for these days. Well, let's make sure he really means it, you know, or, well, let's not rush into anything. Why don't you go away and think about what you've done now, like some naughty child? Repent and be baptized, the Bible says. A few years later in Acts, you see a guy called Philip, who's one of the disciples as well, and he, and he bumps into this Ethiopian official. And Ethiopian officials on his way back from Jerusalem, he's reading a passage from Isaiah that he doesn't understand, which I can really relate to as well. And Philip comes alongside and says, you know what, that's all about Jesus. And this Ethiopian suddenly begins to believe in Jesus. And then in the story, the Ethiopian turns to Philip and says, you know, well, what's stopping me being baptized? Philip realized, well, there isn't anything really. So right there in this muddy stream next to the road, he baptizes this Ethiopian. 
Philip didn't need to. He had to wait time to, for proof of faith by works. Faith alone was the requirement to baptize this guy. Once they believed, baptism was the next step of obedience. And in a way, this is how we have to disagree with some of our, in, in love with some of our other brothers and sisters in Christ. Because in the Bible, we find it commanded for believers to be baptized. We don't find a command about infants being baptized. We don't even see it being commanded by example. You know, that we saw it done by example, so we feel God's telling us to do it. Mark Driscoll, who leads a, a big church in America in Seattle, thousands of people, he has a kind of a, a very outright kind of way of putting things. He declares there are as many unicorns in the Bible as infant baptisms. <laughs> infant baptisms came about about 200 years after Christ, as people began believing, wrongly as we think, that to, to be saved you need to be baptized. So you're not saved until you get baptized. Now, we, we don't hold to that by our conscience. And we don't, but we don't judge people. We don't judge. They go by their consciences just as we go by ours. Rather, we believe not in infant baptism. We believe in what's called credo baptisms. Credo, which is the Latin for I believe. It's a statement, like we say the creeds. I believe baptism. It's what's called the believer's baptism. And we believe the Bible is clear. You believe, you repent, and then you baptize. We get baptized because in the Bible, we are commanded to by word and by example. And actually, in a way, this would be enough because of who commanded it of us. That command comes not from a tyrant or a despot who wants to get obedience through fear. It comes from a loving father who knows what is very best for us. And all the commands of God in the Bible are given to enrich our lives and not to ruin them. Now, whilst I struggle with blind obedience to human institutions, I've seen enough of the History Channel to know what happens when that happens. I don't see that with God because I've found that obedience to God and his will has only ever brought me into greater good. So even if that were the only reason, if I stopped there, I would still have been baptized myself and we would still baptize. But as you can see, there are two more S's, so clearly there are at least two more reasons why we do baptism. So the second reason, step obedience, it's a symbol of something that has happened to them, to those being baptized. Symbols are very important. I wear a symbol every day. It's called my wedding ring. My wedding ring is a symbol of a life-changing decision I made and a lifelong commitment I've made. And if you, if you hadn't have been there at my wedding, and I don't think anyone in this room actually was there at my wedding, you only need to look at my left hand to see that there was an event one that happened almost nine years ago now when I got married to Louise. And if I were to lose this ring, I'd, you know, I'd, it wouldn't necessarily mean I have to divorce from my wife. But I would be a bit upset because it is special to me because of who gave it to me, but also what it represents. And baptism is a symbol in that same way. It is a symbol, but it is special to us because of what it represents and who gave us that symbol. Baptism is a symbol of something that has happened to us. Now, if I were to ask people, especially those who have been baptized, what it is a symbol of, I suspect that many people would believe it is a washing, a symbol of being washed. You know, I go into the water and I come out cleaner. And in all other religions, they also have a kind of baptism experience. And to them, it is always a washing, it is always a cleansing moment for them. The Hindus, they baptize their people in the Ganges. Which, if you know anything about the Ganges, you know, the fact that it's an open sewer, and also this is where they put their dead as well... It's, you know, 
I'm sure the experience, at least we use clean water, okay? But to them, it is a cleansing moment. But for Christians, it isn't a cleansing moment. You know, some people would equate baptism, you know, with, with like that Psalm 51 passage where David gets caught in the adultery and the murder, and he turns around to God and says, wash me, wash away my iniquity, wash away my sin, cleanse me from my sin, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Lovely words. And people think, well, you know, that's all about God washing us, and baptism is all about God washing us as well. They would link passages like that with the washing moment of baptism. But that isn't what baptism symbolizes. It's interesting because I've even read Bible commentaries and kind of Bible dictionaries about baptism, and they even say it's a washing moment. And they should know better because they should have at least read the Bible before writing a Bible dictionary. Let's consider what the Bible says about baptism. Romans 6 verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just, was, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Colossians 2 verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him, this is Jesus, from the dead. What words begin to come out in relation to baptism? Death, burial, resurrection, raised from the dead. And when you consider the kind of process, if you watch what they did in the baptism, it's like the going down into the water in a container which, let's be honest, looks more like a coffin than a bath. And then it's the coming out of the water. If we wanted merely a symbolic cleansing, then a shower unit would work just as well. Do you realize that? And it would be much easier to organize in a hired hall. Trust me. We wouldn't need to be up at 7 o'clock in the morning filling a pool full of water. We could have this nice glass unit you know, maybe a watering can on the top. People walk in the unit and then they get clean and they walk out again happy. If that's what it was symbolizing. Baptism isn't about a washing. It is primarily about death and resurrection. In fact, it's kind of a murder moment, really. It's not a very good whodunit murder moment because the guy stands up the front and says, who's going to do it? You know, they testify before the event. I, I'm murdering myself. We bury one life knowing that with the help of our fellow believers and with God's help, we will be resurrected out of the water. And this also fits better with what the Bible says about becoming a follower of Christ. It isn't that we just need the, you know, a cleaning on the outside. The Bible says we need a rebirth. We need to literally kill our old life, the one that led us into sin, the one that began our journey of separation from God, and we need to be reborn in him. And also, if you think about it, Jesus was baptized. And if it was about cleansing, then that would make no sense whatsoever for Jesus to be baptized. What did Jesus need cleansing from? He was perfect. It would just be a complete waste of water for Jesus to be baptized if it was about cleansing. But for Jesus, he was showing something in advance. In advance, his death and resurrection moment. For Jesus, it was about something that was going to happen to him. For everything, everyone else, it's something that's already happened to us. For Christ, his baptism was him looking ahead to his death and resurrection. For everyone else, it was us looking back to something God had already done. Baptism is a symbol of a death and resurrection. But wonderfully, we're not kind of left there. We're not dying or being reborn alone. Another passage about baptism, Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27. You are all sons of God 
through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And we saw in that previous passage, the Colossians 2, 12, we are having buried with Christ in baptism, having been raised with Christ through your faith in the power of God who raised Christ from the dead. The Bible says that we are baptized into Christ, into a relationship with him. And when you consider who this Jesus was, that's quite an impressive statement. Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Simon and Steph got baptized into him. Jesus who said, I'm the bread of life, I'm the source of living water, resurrected into him. Jesus who said, I'm the resurrection and the life, baptized in him. Jesus who says, I'm the only way to the Father. We get baptized into that person. Because baptism is also symbolic of a relationship. And again, the wedding ring analogy helps us. Because a wedding ring is a symbol of a relationship. When I, when I look at my ring, I don't think of all the vows I've made. You know, all, the, all I have is yours, you know, till death us do part with my body. I don't think of those vows first. I think about a person and my relationship with that person. And baptism isn't a symbol of someone's entrance into a religion. It is about a relationship, a person they have committed themselves to. It isn't, well, you know, I've made these vows, so I suppose I've got to be good on them now. It's a, no, I've, it's a moment of, I've met someone new. They've changed everything about me. And it's important to remember those who have been baptized and also those who have been baptized today and years ago. What began as a relationship will always continue as a relationship. It isn't that we now need to do religious things to, to somehow earn the relationship God has given us. Jesus' primary assessment on all mankind how they did on life, where they should go for eternity, is did you know me? And perhaps you might need to ask that question for yourself. Do you know Christ? You may consider yourself a good person. I am no doubt you probably are a good person. You may do lots of religious things. You may pray. You may read your Bible. You may do charitable giving. You may do charitable service. But none of those things the Bible says are enough. And actually, the Bible goes even further. The Bible says, actually, even the best stuff before a holy God, that is in the opinion of someone who is only pure, only good, only holy, only loving, he says, even our best efforts are like filthy racks. Isaiah 64, 2, if you want to look it up for yourself. And the Bible says that we have all, all of us, fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can attain it ourselves. Romans three twenty three. if you want to read that for yourself. You know, we often imagine final judgment to be like one of those old world scales, don't we? You know, well, I put my good deeds on one side, and then I put my bad deeds on the other. And providing I'm, you know, leaning towards the good, or at least level, then God will be happy with me, and I get into heaven. The Bible says, you know, if, the analogy, if you like the analogy, that's fine. But you have to remember how devastatingly massive sin is. The Bible says just one sin. It's like... Neutron stars, the heaviest thing in the universe. One sugar cube of a neutron star is the equivalent of the whole weight of the human population of the world. Okay, as if there's another world somewhere else, but you know what I mean. Um, that's how heavy it is. And sin is like a neutron star on those scales. One sin and it is dropped to the bottom immediately. And at that point, our, our plight seems a bit doomed. Because no one's able to enjoy a relationship with him by their own efforts or achievements. But it's okay because God knew that right from the beginning. So he set this plan in motion. 
even before the creation of the world. And, and he, in the Old Testament, they're kind of building up to this moment where at that first Christmas, God himself would come down and live the perfect life that we could never. And then it was building up for this Easter moment where that Jesus, who'd lived the perfect life, would come and offer his own life as punishment for all the things that we'd done wrong. Giving himself on, to, to death on the cross and that death and resurrection moment, taking all of our guilt and our shame for the things we've done, that were, and all that was placed on him. And the Bible says all we need to do is believe in him. And then he'll credit his perfect status to our account. And all our debts will be repaid in full. And that relationship we're talking about will be made possible. And the Bible says all we need to do is believe in him. Romans 10.9, often our baptism verse. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All we need to do, the Bible says, is confess and believe. And then that relationship Death and resurrection into a new relationship will define our life on earth and our eternal destination. And before I move on, I just want to, I do want to turn things around to you all and ask you one simple question. Do you know Jesus? Not in the kind of abstract, yeah, I'm aware of his existence, but in the very real, do you know him for yourself? Because that will be the only thing that will be considered when you stand before God to give an account for your life. That's the only thing that will make a difference. Do you know Jesus Christ? Does he know you? Have you been trying to earn God's favor by living a good life? Let me not hide the reality of what the Bible says. Where you spend eternity is dependent on one thing alone. That is, do you know Jesus Christ? You know, some religions believe that there are many ways to God. Christianity is kind of unique and it says actually they're the only way. Many religions would say, actually, you can attain, you can be like God through enlightenment or through good deeds. Christianity says, actually, there's no way for us to become like God. God had to become like us. I don't know about you, but since I know my own heart and my own failings, I'm more likely to believe the Christian way than to think I can attain goodness and God-like status through my own efforts. Baptism is a symbol of something that's happened. It's a symbol of a death and a resurrection into a new life with Christ. And lastly, thirdly, it's a statement of intent. Three things. So what are they saying? What are these guys that have been baptized saying? What are they intending? Firstly, my priorities have changed. It isn't, you know, well, fun used to be important to me. Now I've gone for religion now. Don't worry. You know, again, religion, uh, my wedding ring is Another, a great analogy for this. Because it's a choice made freely to commit myself to someone else. You know, at one stage of my life, Louise, my wife, um, wasn't even top ten of my priorities. Okay, I have to admit this. Um, I'll say now, it's before we met, so that's why she wasn't in my priority list. It wasn't recently, that wasn't last week, don't worry. And then from our first meeting, August 2001, to going out a few weeks later, you know, I wasn't messing around. To getting engaged 18 months later, okay, I was messing around a little bit, but you know. And then married eight months after that. She has gradually received promotion in my priority list. She ha- um, she'd be glad to hear. She's feeding my daughter outside. And this ring demonstrates she has completed her promotion. She is now, she is now second 
on my list of priorities, in case you're wondering. Not behind football. Football is a long way off. (laughs) Baptism is a statement. Christ has moved all the way up on my priority list to the number one slot. He will now have the final say on what I do, when I do it, why I do it, and how I do it. And this is why we encourage family and friends to come and see this moment. In the same way that we love having our family and friends at our wedding day. Not just so that they bring big presents, although that is obviously important. We like to bring them to our wedding because we want them to see, okay, we want them to realize, okay, guys, this is the new me. This is how my life will be from now on. I want you to know this. You've known me from the start. Now see the new me. Come and see where my future priorities will now lie. They will take their place behind Christ. My job will drop a level. My hobbies will drop a level. In a way, all other relationships I have will drop a level. The things I enjoyed doing before, I'll probably still enjoy doing before, but my relationship with Jesus will come first. So if I can still honor number one while doing number eight, whatever that might be, great. If I can't honor number one by doing number eight, I don't do number eight. You know, drinking lots on a Thursday evening evening used to be a priority for me. Not that I ever said it was a priority, obviously, but if you looked at my bank balance and you looked at my diary, you would see, well, actually, Ben, you know, being honest, Thursday night drinking is a bit of a priority for you. And um, it wasn't number one, obviously, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a little way up. But then I realized by doing that, I wasn't honoring number one. So I stopped doing it. No one commanded me, don't drink. I read my Bible cover to cover, and it was quite silent on drinking on Thursday evening in East Grinstead. You know, there wasn't <laughs> nothing there. Crawley, maybe there's tons there about that, but <laughs> East Grinstead, there wasn't anything. I just checked my priority list and then made the decision myself. And maybe, again, I'll turn this back to you, guys. Maybe you are a Christian who has been baptized today or maybe years back. Check this is still an aim of yours. Check where career and holidays and friendships and family and children, even grandchildren and hobbies are on our priority list. If we're not sure, as I say, like I did with my Thursday night drinking, you know, check your bank balance, check what you're buying, check what you're spending things on, check your diary, go back, you actually, where was I that time? They'd never lie, and maybe there's a bit of reordering might be required. So that's the first thing, that, the first intent, statement of intent, my priorities have changed. The second one is that I've got a new boss. I am under new management. Because to know Jesus isn't merely to have one more friend to add to the list. He isn't merely one more name on your list of a thousand Facebook friends or whoever you've got. To know Jesus is to know him as he is right now, the king on the throne. In just the same way, no one goes on about, well, I went up to London and met this woman called Elizabeth and her husband Philip. They said, no, we went to London, we met Her Majesty the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip. Because to know Jesus is to acknowledge his status and his place. To truly know Jesus is to see and accept his authority, his rule and his status. And so baptism baptism is a bit like those signs you see over failing pubs and restaurants under new management. There's a realisation that under the last boss, things weren't going so well. But we've got this new boss who can change things for the better. And baptism is is a bit like that. It's like under the last boss, my life wasn't going so well. And even when I tried my hardest, I I still made mistakes and I still ended up upsetting people that I love. So I gave up and invited a new boss in. 
And he got rid of the old establishment. He rebuilt it brand new by his own design. And he reopened the place. The name may be the same, but everything else has changed. And that's what our baptism guys are saying. Jesus is the new boss. He gets to make the decisions from now on. He gets to decide what I say, what I do, even you know, what I think. The Bible says, take your thoughts, submit your thoughts to Christ and let him take them captive, submitting them to him. Being baptized is, a, is an acknowledgement that we humans cannot save ourselves. It isn't a case of trying hard enough. The Bible says that we were spiritually dead and morally bankrupt. We had run up such huge debts that even an eternity of good works would not be enough to pay them back. The Bible says we needed new management, just like in those restaurant programs where they come in and transform this restaurant. We need, we need someone to come in with a wealth of righteousness, someone to come in with a blank checkbook full of grace and a heart of mercy. And you know what, wonderfully, such a benefactor does exist. Have you asked him to exchange your debts for his riches yet? Sam and Steph have, Simon and Steph have, you know, and that's why they're so happy about things. That's why they can stand up and give great testimonies. And lastly, thirdly, I'm part of a new family. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. When we became a Christian, the Bible says that we were adopted into his family. Ephesians 1, 5, if you want to look it up. We became family, it says, with the two billion and, or massively more now and rapidly growing body of believers around the world. That's something God has done for us. But I think there's another step that we do ourselves, and that is we commit ourselves to that family. It's one thing for a child to be legally part of a family. My, my sister became legally part of our family when she was age three, even before she could talk or acknowledge it herself. It's another thing to commit ourselves to that new family. And baptism is a great moment to stand up and say, guys, I've got a new family. And it isn't to say that my old family aren't important to me. Actually, the reverse, really. The Bible even says, actually, you show your faith first by the people who you live closest with. You demonstrate your, what, your, your new life to them first. But they are also declaring that there is another family who has their allegiance as well. There's another family that they will serve. There's another family they will care for. There's another family they will pray for and support. There's another family they will defend and protect and speak well of. There's another group of people that they will give themselves for. And you know, I, I, that state, that, using that title, Statement of Intent, it wasn't purely because it fitted nicely with the other S's. Although, to be fair, it's a nice symmetry. You've probably noticed, you know. But actually, this is the right way of putting it. And it's the good, right way to understand the change it brings about. Because a statement of intent is something that we are aiming towards, a goal. And in one way, in their whole life, it will never fully get there. But it's something we need to be constantly reminding ourselves of and getting help with. Now, even as a church pastor, I am not fully there. Christ is priority number one in my life, but, some, you know, but sometimes I need reminding of that and helping with that. I, yeah, Christ is my new man, he's my new boss, but sometimes I find myself doing things to please the old boss, i.e. me. This is my family, but sometimes, lovely though you are, I feel less than hospitable towards you. Sometimes through your mistakes, more often through mistakes of my own. And so statement of intent is the right way of understanding things because I will get it wrong, 
But with God's help and the help of other believers, you will get better. And I will get better. You know, the process of actually being baptized is, is relatively easy, simple even. You let gravity and then the buoyancy of water do all the hard work. Living it out, living out those intentions becomes harder. In fact, the Bible kind of says in a way it's impossible. And that's why when we were, we were baptizing the guys, we asked for God's spirit to help them. Because the Bible speaks about a kind of a second baptism. Literally a drenching and a refilling in the spirit of God. Which is what you heard, that's why you heard us praying for God's spirit to fill them as well. This is so we are able to live the life that we now want to live. A rebirth makes obedience uh, possible and a filling with the Holy Spirit makes it, it basically enables it, makes it possible to happen. He gives us, the Spirit gives us the wisdom, the ability and the strength to obey and do these things even when we find it hard. You know, these guys have discovered not a religion but a relationship. A relationship with the Father who loves us so much that he was willing to do the unthinkable so that we could enjoy a relationship with him. Someone who is willing to give up his most, offer the most precious gift possible for the cost of nothing. You know, if it were a religion, then it would be about us. It would be about us conforming to a, a moral standard or giving enough money or serving the poor enough. But it isn't about those things. Being a Christian isn't about what you can do for God as if he really need anything. It is all about what God has done for you. Let me finish with one last Bible passage. It's not up there. didn't fit, sorry. Titus 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. And this is the testimony of those who've been baptized and all of us who've been baptized in the past. Baptism is a sign that the kindness and love of God our Savior has appeared to us. That he has saved us, not by the righteous things that we did, but just because of his mercy. That he has saved us through rebirth and the making new through his spirit. And all of that generously comes to us through Jesus Christ. That is their testimony. And I want to leave you with one last question. Is that your testimony as well? I'm going to pray now. And uh, kids, will come, kids will begin to come back in. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a couple of songs to finish. Um, but let me pray first. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this great morning. I thank you that Simon and Steph have been standing up the front here and given wonderful testimonies of what you have already done in their life. And thank you as a step of obedience, they've been baptized. Thank you as a symbol of the death and resurrection that their spirit has enjoyed they have been baptized. And I thank you that they do have, have made statements of intent. That from now on, Christ will be the boss. He will have the priority number one. And that I am part of a new, wonderful, worldwide, glorious family of God. And I pray for each one of us here who has made testimonies before and who hasn't. That you would just reveal yourself again to us. Lord, would we know again how wonderful it is to know you. Maybe for people here who have never really believed in you, would they learn to believe in you and accept the righteousness in place of our sin? 
that they would know rebirth in you, Lord Jesus. Amen.